Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by IBEW Local 102, lighting the path, leading the way. Hackensack Meridian Health, keep getting better. Gibbons PC. NJM Insurance Group, serving New Jersey's drivers, homeowners, and business owners for more than 100 years. And by Operating Engineers, Local 825. Promotional support provided by AM970, The Answer. And by Insider NJ. Welcome to Think Tank. I'm Steve Adubato. That is the very talented Nicole Swenerton, who is our senior producer and co-anchor. Nicole, by the way, has it changed your life now that your name is right there, big and bold, right with mine? It's very exciting to see that. Yes, I appreciate giving, uh, getting the opportunity to have my name up there, but um, it's been nice, yes. I didn't give you anything. You earned it. <laughs> by the way, speaking of earning things, how about this fascinating conversation we have with former Governor Chris Christie coming up, talking about an awful lot, including... Is it Trump's party or is it the Republican party? Go ahead, Nicole. That's right. He really um, analyzes the way that uh, President Trump has used his words uh, really through his whole administration, but specifically over the past couple months and how um, his divisive rhetoric really instigated the insurrection um, at the uh, Capitol on uh, January 6th. And uh, he makes it known that it's very clear that he has been extremely divisive and uh, it led to violence and death in this country, which is, which is very, very upsetting and upsetting for the Republican Party as well. And that's, listen, you hear Chris Christie talk about it. in the second half, you also check out Steve Politi, mm -hmm. who's a sports columnist with NJ Advanced Media, great stuff there. But Nicole, tell everyone who makes Think Tank right here on News 12 Plus Possible. We would love to thank the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 102, Hackensack Meridian Health, NJM Insurance Group, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Yeah, and by the way, our promotional partners at AM 970 and Insider NJ. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm curious about in the minute we have before we throw to Governor Christie. Is it your sense that people have to either decide if you're a Republican, am I with Trump? or I'm gonna be with the others who are not with Trump. And Christie seems to be saying, listen, I'm a Republican. I'm not a Trump Republican, I'm a Republican, go ahead. Yeah, I think actually the question is, is Trump the face of the Republican Party? And I think that will help people um, understand their place in the party a lot better. If they, can, if they want to see President Trump as uh, the face of the party, whether the past four years or the next coming years, we'll see what he does. Uh, that really changes the way that you probably see yourself within the party, if you can stay or not. And finally, if people think because Donald Trump's not president, even though as we speak, Senate vote going on, we don't know what's gonna happen. Don't kid yourself, whether he has Twitter or not, Donald Trump, it will be a figure that matters in American politics. Nicole, thank you so much for setting things up. I'm Steve Adubato, soon to uh, see Chris Christie and Steve Politi on the back end. Thanks for being with us on Think Tank. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Welcome to a very special program we, where we are, in fact, honored to be joined 
my governor, Chris Christie, former governor, Chris Christie. Um, by the way, governor, they still call you governor because once you're the governor, you're always the governor, right? Yeah, that's kind of seems like the way it works. There's some people who don't, uh, Steve, uh, but, uh, you know, most people do. And there's some people who weren't actually elected governor that want to be called governor, but we won't talk about that. If you don't want, I'm happy to. No, I'm not, because there are bigger picture issues. We're taping. I'm going to make it clear. You'll see it on the screen. You know, we never try to hide when we're taping because it's the 13th of January, historic day. There's a vote taking place in Congress, um, likely in the House for President Trump to be impeached a second time, the first president that will ever happen to. Um, Governor, let me ask you, the series is called Democracy at a Crossroads. What is that crossroads as you look at where we are today and where you think we're going to be over the next couple of months? Well, listen, I think that what happened on January 6th um, tells us that words matter, actions matter in a democracy um, more than almost anything. Um, the, the way we argue with each other, the way we debate, the way we discuss, and the way we accept the verdict of democracy. And I, I think that the biggest in the president has committed over his four years has been his conduct in the last nine weeks. Um, I said it on election night that there was no evidence that he had presented a fraud in the election. He continued to say it, though, for nine weeks with no presentation of evidence. But a lot of people in the country, and, and rightfully so, want to believe their president. And so when the president continued to say the election was robbed, that it was a fraud, that he had won in a landslide, even though all the evidence was to the contrary, some people still believed it. Those words matter. And it's what led to the riot on January 6th on, on Capitol Hill. His actions, his words, his conduct inspired those people to do what they did. So let's do this. Again, it is the 13th of January as we tape. This vote's taking place. Um, Joe Biden will be the president on the 20th. This will be seen after in February, March, et cetera. But, Governor, you're also the former uh, U.S. attorney in New Jersey. In fact, we were one of the, my colleague, Rafael Puerman, in public broadcasting. I think we did one of the first interviews with you um, in that role. You're a law and order guy. For those who believe in Donald Trump, even after he's not president, but say they believe in the rule of law and law and order and respect police, support those in blue, how does that comport with what happened on January 6th? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, if you believe in law and order, then what you could have done if you want. So I had no problem with people marching up to the Capitol, Steve. And if they want to march outside the Capitol and, and yell and scream and, you know, uh, get, get a microphone and let the people inside that building hear what they had to say, that's a very American thing to do. And I would have been more than happy to see that happen because people would have been expressing their point of view, which is what this country is all about. But when you see the video of what happened up there and the still photos, that shows disrespect for the people that you were assaulting, that you were, in some instances, murdering. Uh, we had two police officers die up there. We had an Air Force veteran who was part of the, the, the crew uh, trying to enter the, uh, the, the building killed. And the president let us down on this too, because um, for a couple of days till Sunday, after um, uh, the police officer, the Capitol Police officer who's from New Jersey, Officer Skipnick, um, was murdered, 
the flag was at half staff at the Capitol, but not at the White House. Why do you think that's the case? I think the president was angry about the entire incident and that he was being blamed for it and uh, didn't want to acknowledge that officer's sacrifice. I brought it up on, on the on ABC on Sunday and said, you know, how can you say you're the law and order president? Not do that. And then a couple of hours later, the flag was lowered to half staff as it should be. If we are, as I was, enraged by the protests this past summer surrounding social justice, when they turned violent and when they turned to looting and to destroying property and hurting people, well, we must be equally incensed by what happened on Capitol Hill. Violence like that and rioting and looting and destroying our institutions, whether they're private institutions or the most public institution we have in this country, the Capitol, they're all wrong. And if you're really a law and order person, you don't speak out of just against one, you speak out against both. So Governor, let me ask you, um, the longer term implications of this, you, you've, we've, you and I have had so many conversations both on the air and off. and and. There are times that we've gone back and forth, um, and you, everyone who knows you knows that you never hold back, and you're aggressive, and you're strong, and you're tough, and you say what's on your mind, get the hell off the beach. That being said, what is the difference between the way you have governed and the way you communicate in your style and what we have seen in the Trump presidency, where, let's be clear, you were supportive of Donald Trump, voted for him twice, as you said. What is the biggest difference between the way you have governed and your style of communicating and Donald Trump's? Uh, well, I'll specify right now in these last nine weeks in particular, Steve. As we tape the last nine weeks. And we don't, by the way, we don't know whether he has Twitter or not. It's irrelevant. He will still be heard in some way, Governor. Pretty well. Go ahead. Um, the difference is the truth. Now, you can be blunt and direct, and I think public officials should be. I think that's what the public wants. But you have to tell the truth. And when you're blunt and direct and you're lying, that's completely unacceptable. And it's an abrogation of your responsibility as an elected official. And to me, that is the single biggest difference. Um, I also think that I used an use bluntness and directness to frame an issue in order to reach a compromise. The president has not done that. I think that's the other big difference between our styles. What's Joe Biden's, uh, at, as this program has seen, he'll be the president on the 20th of January and obviously beyond. What is the biggest challenge he faces and what is the greatest opportunity, Governor Christie? I think the biggest challenge he faces is controlling his own party. You know, now that they have majority in the House and the Senate and the White House. The Democrats. The Democratic Party has tended when they've had this in the last two presidencies where they had it, in the Clinton presidency and the Obama presidency, in those first two years, to have drastically overreached, to have misread the appetite of the American people for the type of change that they've advocated for. And as a result, they lost Congress both times, in 1994 and in 2010. Joe Biden lived through both of those, the first time as a member of the Senate, going from the majority to the minority, and the second time as the vice president of the United States. And I think his biggest challenge is going to be 
reminding his colleagues of that lesson and trying to get them to implement the change they want to implement, but to do so in a way that doesn't overreach. I think his biggest opportunity is because of how long Joe Biden has been in government, because he's literally been in the federal government for nearly 50 years. He has an opportunity to say, I've seen a lot over these last 50 years, and I want to work with Mitch McConnell, even though he's now the minority leader. I want to work with Kevin McCarthy. I want to find common ground on things like infrastructure and and, uh, and, and national defense policy. And, it, and if he does it, I think he presents his party and his country with a great opportunity to heal. And so I think that's his biggest opportunity and the overreach issue is his biggest challenge. I want to talk to you about COVID in just a moment and, and your personal experience um, around COVID and the public service announcement that the governor has been putting out. Uh, by the way, Governor, how can people check out that they've seen it everywhere, but where can they, if they want to just go online and see it, where can they find your public service announcement? Uh, they can go to the COVID Collective, Steve. Um, you go to the COVID Collective on the internet, and, um, and they're the group that sponsored the public service announcement. Um, so you go there and you'll be able to see the ad and a few others that have been made. By the way, yeah, I'm, I'm changing my mind. Um, I'm gonna stay on that. You, um, you were very outspoken that you made a mistake. You made a series of mistakes around how you handled yourself during COVID, um, particularly at the White House. Remind people of those mistakes and the message you wanna share with people right now. Again, the 13th of January, February, March, April, COVID will be just as real. Go ahead, Governor. We'll be here with us. And, and I, listen, for seven months, Steve, from March until October, I wore a mask whenever I went out of my house um, washed my hands 10 or 12 times a day, stayed out of big groups, did all the things that the public health advisors were telling us to do. And as a result, I stayed healthy for four days in the White House, thinking I was in a safe place because everyone was getting tested, including myself, every day. Um, I took my mask off and interacted with other people during preparations uh, uh, for the presidential debates. And it was a huge mistake. And what it taught me was, and what I'm trying to have other people benefit from my experience is, there is no safe place from this virus. No safe place. Excuse me, because even if the White House, if the White House is not safe, where people who come in there are being tested every day, um, there is no safe place in this country. And so put your mask on. I did it for seven months and stayed healthy. Is it 100% guarantee? No. But what we now know from statistics over the last nine, 10 months is that you're twice as likely to get COVID if you don't wear a mask than you are if you do. Yeah. And I can tell you, Steve, from having had it, uh, it's not something you want to get. You were in the ICU um, and you were very candid about that experience and how afraid you were um, and that your family was. And so number one, most importantly, we're glad you're doing well. 30 seconds on the vaccine again. We're taping on the 13th of January. Things are going to change. The CDC website will be up. Check it out. Biggest lesson that you believe we should be learning about vaccine distribution? Oh, we're just not being aggressive enough. As uh, we speak right now. Oh, as we speak right now. Do you believe the Biden administration could, could, on the federal level, Governor, change that dramatically? 
Well, I think in their tone they can, and I think that they will. Um, but I think this really has been a, a predominantly a state problem. A state problem? Yeah, I, on the distribution of the vaccine. Because, Not on supply, though, Governor. No, 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 on the distribution. Because let's face it, we're seeing in New Jersey and New York, we've distributed already less than 40% of the supply we have. As we speak. As we speak. That's outrageous. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to start to do some more aggressive things. Um, empty stores are going to be used as distribution centers here in New Jersey. City Field is going to be used as a distribution center. Oh, you had to bring it up because you're a Mets fan, but go ahead. Well, listen, the, the Mets are giving and, and generous, and their new owner, Steve Cohen, um, you know, but show that couple you want, but nothing's happening at Yankee Stadium to fight. <laughs> okay. um, we'll make a call. Go ahead, Governor. Seven, they're going to be doing that at City Field. This should have been done from the beginning by, by all the leaders in the state government. And, and New Jersey, you know, has not done a good job on this, Steve. And, and I can't understand why we weren't prepared. In, in New Jersey, we, we delayed giving it to our seniors for a week because we missed the paperwork deadline. And, and the commissioner of health said, oh, well, it's a lot of paperwork. Well, I don't know what the hell else she was working on, but could there be anything more important after all the seniors who have died in New Jersey? Could there be anything more important than getting our seniors the vaccine? My dad's 86 years old and has not yet had COVID. I want my dad to get the vaccine. And, and, and there's nothing more important than protecting our seniors at this point who this disease has shown us are the most vulnerable in our society to this disease. And I'm hoping and praying that your dad gets the vaccine. So my mom, who's, my mom doesn't like when I talk about her age, so I'll leave that alone. Um, Governor, can we do the Republican Party? And by the way, uh, Judy Persichelli, the Commissioner of Health, we're actually taping <clears throat> in about an hour or so from now, we're taping several interviews today. She'll have an opportunity to make her case and I'll ask her about that paperwork. That being said, Governor, the Republican Party and, and it's no secret, you may run, who knows? Uh, you never tell me the truth about whether you're gonna run for president or not. You didn't last time, you won't this time. Why should That's I? That's okay. What's that? Why should I? Okay. <laughs> Leave that alone. Do you believe, Governor, there really two are going to be moving forward, two Republican parties, those loyal, committed to Donald Trump, whether he can ever run for public office again, and those others who are not, like you? even though you were, but not a sycophant to the president, you've challenged him, you questioned him, but you're still not gonna change your Republican Party affiliation. Long-winded question, two parties, two Republican parties? No, no no more than there are two Democratic parties right now. Uh, you looked at the battle that went on in the primary um, between Joe Biden and the more moderate wing of the Democratic Party. Trump doesn't change everything, Governor. No, I, I listen. No, I don't think so, Steve. I think, you know, everybody looks at the next election through the prism of the last one, and it is always a mistake because times will change, circumstances will change. Listen, a year ago, a year ago, right now, Donald Trump was the overwhelming favorite to be reelected. Overwhelming favorite. We didn't have COVID. Still a good month or six weeks away from this January 13th date where we're taping. And and so circumstances change. I think what ha what's happening in the Republican Party right now, what will happen over the next couple of years, will be what always happens when you get your head beat. We lost the White House, we lost the House, and we lost the Senate 
in four years. When that happens, you better have a reevaluation of how you're communicating to the public and what issues you're talking about and who your leaders are. And so that's what's going to happen in the very same way that I recall when when um, George W. Bush won his second term in 2005, um, a real reexamination went on in the Democratic Party that ultimately led to a, a, an outsider. Barack like, Obama. Becoming the nominee and not the insider favorite Hillary Clinton. So this always happens in political parties, Steve. This is more dramatic because of the events of the past uh, week up on Capitol Hill and because of the way Donald Trump's conducted himself since the election. But I do think that we'll wind up being in the very same spot we're always in when we lose, which is to reevaluate and then regather to try to present a new picture to the American public. That is Chris Christie, former governor of the great state of New Jersey. Also check him out on ABC with George Stephanopoulos on Sundays, right? And a whole range of other days because things happen all the time. But he also told me offline, he texted me and said, if I choose to run, for president in 2024. Steve, you will be the person I tell first. Is that not a fact? Um, yeah, sure, and I've texted that to 12 other people too, so <laughs> good luck. I knew, man, you just pick up those one line. I knew you'd be right there with that. Hey, Governor, Chris, um, Chris Christie, thank you so much. Most importantly, uh, best to you and your family. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Steve, thanks for having me. You got it, I'm Steve Adubato, that's Chris Christie. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at steveadubato. Uh, we're now joined by our good friend Steve Politi, sports columnist at NJ Advanced Media. Check him out on NJ.com and old school, Star Ledger. Hey, Steve, listen, um, you blew me away uh, with a column you wrote. Um, what did I learn in 2020? The coronavirus was no match for the human spirit. It was powerful, meaningful, impactful. Why'd you write it and what was the message? Yeah, you know, Steve, I was thrown into, like a lot of people, I was thrown into a different role when the pandemic started and I was covering uh, all the stories uh, of human people overcoming and, and really rallying uh, during the pandemic. And what I saw was just so many examples of normal people who really rose above their circumstances to make a difference in their communities. And, you know, a guy like Greg Daly, who's a, who's a paper delivery person who, who was bringing not just newspapers to his subscribers, but groceries to people who couldn't get out of their houses. And, uh, you know, just, just, just stories like that that really touched me and and when I thought back on what what I learned during 2020 it was really that as tough as the pandemic was it was not a match for just the human spirit what about the guy um 55 days on a ventilator Michael say his last name Somek tell us about him because it was so moving yeah you know and and this this is a story that really touched me again he's a guy who drove himself into the hospital you know he thought I I just need a quick check I'll eat some oxygen I'll be back and I'll be back in a couple of days and, you know, right away he was put on the ventilator. And, you know, what I wanted to capture in that story was just what his family went through and how they how they really suffered 
through these days without knowing that their father and their, their brother and their son was going to make it through. And, you know, and what he told me at the end was just when he got through it, he realized that if he had died, he would have just not been there anymore. But what struck him in thinking about it was just the number of lives that would have been changed in the way, you know, that's what keeps him up at night was, was just thinking about how his friends and his family and his daughters would have been touched if he didn't make through the struggle. Let me try this one. By the way, is the other one I want to ask you about in a second is, is it Peter Cave? Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that in a second, but I'm going to ask you about sports. So um, okay. the role of sports, not just for those of us who are obsessed with um, collegiate sports and, and professional sports. Um, I hold this up all the time. I'm an old school. Derek Jeter will always be the greatest Yankee of the last generation. That being said, the role of high school sports and sports in our lives in COVID, during COVID and beyond. There's a question here, I promise. What if kids lost who couldn't play, compete, be involved in sports, particularly in high school? Well, I think that was a devastating thing, especially for the athletes this spring. You know, I talked to one uh, girl softball player who was three hits away from a town a city record and having her name in immortality. And all she wanted to do was just have one more opportunity to be on the field with her teammates, just to just to enjoy that, just to have that experience. And, you know, it's something that the, the athletes in the spring lost. And one reason why I think it was a good decision. Spring 2020. It is 2020. 2020. Correctly. You're correct. Yes. So what, so what could it mean in 2021 in the spring as we get closer to it? We don't know how the vaccine is going to play out. But say we say we can play safer, that kids can be out there. What would it mean to those kids? By the way, the other kids really got hurt terribly. But go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. No, absolutely. And I think, it, you know, we saw this fall what it meant. You know, it was a difficult decision to have them have football season go on, soccer season. But, you know, with the precautions and, the, you know, the, the kids took it very seriously. They policed themselves in a lot of situations to make sure they could keep playing. And I think it made a big difference. You know, I think you saw a lot of communities rally around their teams. I live in Montclair, where they had two state championships soccer teams. And yeah, I think you saw just how important that was for those for those athletes and for the for the parents and just for the community to have something that resembled normalcy. Yeah. By the way, I'm Montclair as well. That was a um, big deal for our town. So um, tell me, is Peter Cave, who's Peter Cave and, and why does Peter's story matter? Well, we did a story on a 24 hours in crisis about and the, every reporter at NGA Advanced Media was farmed out across the state to capture different scenes during the pandemic. And mine was to go to uh, a crematorium in the cemetery. I get, I get all the good assignments, Steve. <laughs> and uh, I had just stumbled upon a man's funeral in which his family couldn't attend. Uh, and it was just very... Uh, it just struck me as very emotional. Uh, his his relatives were outside a fence outside of the outside of the cemetery because of the restrictions on outdoor gatherings. And I happened to be there, and you know, in watching this happen and watching this very quick uh, funeral service, I just thought it was extremely unfair that this man's life didn't get the treatment that we all need when we were mourning. So I went back and, and I did the best to report on you know what had happened to him, who he was, what his life was like. And of course, what it meant to his family not to have this opportunity to to mourn him, and and you know, I wanted to be able to write about his, you know, their experiences and just what we've lost. It's a bigger picture of what you know as communities what we've lost because of this. By the way, check out NJ.com to see Steve's uh, not only this column about the human spirit and connection to uh, COVID, 
um, but everything else he's written. We have about a minute left. Let me ask you this. You, um, I've interviewed you so many times, a lot in my radio work and here as well. You've always struck me as an upbeat, positive guy. Question, and I actually interviewed Eric Legrand. Um, check out our website, steveautobato.org, for an extraordinary interview, not because of me, but because of Legrand. Uh, talk about a positive attitude of former Rutgers superstar um, paralyzed in 2010 game against Army. How do you stay positive, Steve? Got a minute left in, in the midst of all this um, this crisis, COVID and beyond. How do you stay so positive? You know, I, I think you have to focus on the stories and the people who are, who are doing uplifting things. And they're not hard to find. I mean, they're all around us. And, and you know, that's part of, you know, like the pizza guy who took out a $50,000 loan to pay off his employees. And, you know, the, the guy who owned a gym who took his, who went around in a mascot costume costume to help kids work out. I mean, there's just so many examples of that. And, you know, and, and when it did get overwhelming and when things, you know, there are many bad days, you're trapped in your house with your kids, you want to kill them, I understand. But <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't hard to find examples that of, of, of the human spirit that really kept a smile on your face. I'm going to repeat what I said before, um, offline to you, I'm repeat it again. Um, reading your work on a regular basis, not just about sports, but about our lives and about um, the human spirit has been helpful to me, and I know I'm not alone. So to Steve Politi, sports columnist at NJ Advanced Media, I want to thank you, not just for the column we talked about, but for the work you do every day. Best to you and your family, Steve Politi. All the best. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate that. Thank you. You got it. I'm Steve Adubato. That is the more important Steve, Steve Politi. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by IBEW Local 102, Hackensack Meridian Health, Gibbons PC, NJM Insurance Group, and by Operating Engineers Local 825. Promotional support provided by AM 970 The Answer, and by Insider NJ.